Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Event Horizon, starring Lawrence Fishburne, Sam Neill, Kathleen Kinlan, and Julie Richardson. Written by Philip Eisner, and a name I never expected to appear on this podcast unless it was in a rock gut cast, Mr. Paul W.S. Anderson. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. It's time to start a brand new spooky season cask, and this one built all the, all around the films of you. Uh, these are Matt's picks in our... Uh, fictitious fantasy video store that we get to run on the side uh, when we're not doing this podcast. You got full reign to, to provide some picks and recommendations for the patrons uh, coming into the video store. And so pick number one, Event Horizon from 1997. My first question, I think I'm going to ask you of this every week while we're kind of getting into, uh, just getting, getting grooving here. Why Event Horizon? Without, you know, getting into your full review of it. It's sleepy. Mm-hmm. Most people missed it. And it really troubled me in the theater when I saw it. Mm-hmm. And it's in that space that I like, which is what happened to a lot of this cast. Yeah. Um, you know, Lawrence Fishburne is probably the marquee name on this. Mm-hmm. And I think he forged himself a pretty nice career. Yeah. The Sam Neill debate's really interesting. Jack mm-hmm. Noseworthy mattered for about <laughs> six months and was pretty prevalent in quite a few things. Yeah. Um, but sometimes I think when you get that, you get characters that don't become bigger than the story and do a really good job yeah. with the story. But the, the biggest thing in all this, despite blah, 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 all that yakety bullshit mm-hmm. is when I saw this in theater, it scared the hell out of me. Yeah. I was really troubled by this film. Okay. So that's why I chose it. Excellent. Now, sad news about this is it's probably in, in this cast that we're doing, mm-hmm. unless we have a time machine to mm-hmm. go back with contemporary quote unquote contemporary films to a video rental type era probably never made that. But if it had made that, this is the aisle that I would have been sending people down to quite a bit. Go check out event horizon. I know you missed in the theaters cause this movie bombed hard. Seven people saw it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You were one of them. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I, I just want I was just curious. Yeah. I missed this one in theaters. I was a little too young for this one when it came out. Was it 97? Seven, seven. Yeah. So I was, yeah. Seven, eight. Uh, oh, come on, Nancy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I did get to go see Titanic when it came out, but, you know, I got my eyes covered during the painting scenes, <laughs> but not during the car scenes. Like, I, I couldn't, I didn't understand that. Uh, anyway. <laughs> this Parents can be weird. This isn't the Titanic uh, podcast, but Titanic will figure into the story behind this film. Go figure. Uh, but like I said, Paul W.S. Anderson, I normally equate this guy with just utter trash. Uh People can say that the that Mortal first Mortal Kombat movie he did was pretty good. I say go watch it again because I don't think it is. No, it's not. Uh, all the Resident Evil films he made, Alien versus Predator, like we're talking just like really generic kind of garbage. And then this is kind of like an interesting ruby in the middle, right? Like a ruby in the in the space L rough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I can't wait to talk about him. He had some pretty interesting little kind of tidbits on the on the Blu-ray, just talking about it, talking about it fondly and. 
Uh, we'll kind of talk about him and, you know, why he chose chose this film. I think that's an interesting story, too. I didn't watch that interview with him. When you finish that, mm-hmm. do you have more, less, or the same amount of respect for him as a director? I think a little bit more, actually. So you think uh, he just got dealt a bad hand over and over and over? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And or, or what do you mean, with like Resident Evil and all that? Uh, no, I think that a lot of that is his doing. But I think in terms of... The stuff that happened behind the scenes on this film, I think he was dealt a bit of a shitty hand, yeah. but still churned out uh, what we'll talk about here in the next hour and 20-ish minutes, right? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, no whiskey this week. We're treating things a little bit different. Uh, yeah, it's like almost like we're uh, truckers in space, Matt. So mm. you're having some hot brown. Yep. And I'm having Peter's brand classic import lager beer. <laughs> what a bunch of traitors we are. Exactly. But hey, it's just like we're taking the event horizon into hell. Things are just a little bit different, right? You come out kind of a little bit different version of your former self, a little bit possessed, if you will. Yep. Uh, but hey, let's get this thing started with our flight question. Okay, before we get into it, yeah, does that <laughs> match the film? Yes, kind of yeah. does in a, a weird li- way. A little silly, but then like into like pseudo like mega serious. They took a page out of something that I always really liked about Alien Three, which there's not for me a lot to really like about that film. But Alien Three starts out with the 20th Century Far- uh, Fox March. And then they hold that last and they hold that last note and then it like trills off into space. And they kind of did the same thing here with the Paramount theme, which is never, ever played like never. uh, That's the Paramount theme, ladies and gentlemen. But then it like kind of drifts off into space and then into like 97. Trent Reznor was on tour with Nine Inch Nails. So they got a timpani drum and did the best they could with it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I love it. I think it's a great tone setter. I wish more people would trill off their company logos into like the opening credits, but we don't, we just don't do that. (laughs) What's even weirder about is all the fooling around that Paramount did with this, that they would use uh, this. Mm. We're in the middle of a mess right now, Yeah, (laughs) but not with the flight. Mm. So here it is. Being that this movie does play in the space of possession, which gives it the E, yikes bit. I wanted you to tell me from a large, numerous list of possibilities who your top three favorite okay. possessed characters in film are. Mm-hmm. Three, three, two, two, one, one. Yes. Uh, why don't you go? Why don't you go first? If you don't mind. I don't mind at all. Um, I'm going to check in at number three with Miss Charlie Graham. From Hereditary. Uh, It's a really off-putting role. She's ridiculously comfortable playing it. Um, The little girl from Hereditary haunts me to this day, and it has as much to do with how her story ends in that film Mm -hmm. as it does with all of the clandestinely odd, off-putting, semi-violent things she does along the way. Yeah. So Charlie Graham, good That's one. The character name. I'm pulling from the same film, but not the same character. I'm pulling Annie, Miss Tony Collette, uh, also from Ari Aster's Hereditary. Mm-hmm. 
the film's unique in that like a lot of people get to be possessed in that movie, not just yeah. one person. But when she turns, and we've already seen her give an amazing performance up to that point, which is well into the third act of the film. Mm-hmm. She's frightening Spider-Manning across the walls and like banging her head and then slicing her neck off. And um, there's not a lot of dialogue there for her to be possessed, but her possessed physical state is insane and very uncomfortable. And even once it's, it falls off into, I think it's Alex Wolf for the last one. Uh, he's pretty frightening too. There's busted face payment, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I think yeah, the possessions treated very well in, in that film. So we could have picked any of those characters. Yeah, Charlie Graham's played by Millie Shapiro, everybody. Mm-hmm. And we're dying to do that film, yeah. aren't we? Mm-hmm. It comes up, it's almost bi-monthly yeah. now. He comes up a lot, yeah. He does. Yeah. Come on, man, hurry up. Let's get you out in this here. Mm-hmm. We can't own two films, though. Yeah. Number two for me. <clears throat> ah, this is going to probably piss you off that it's not number one, but yeah. it's still really high. Mm-hmm. Mr. Jack Nicholson playing the role of Jack Torrance yeah. in a movie called The Shining. Maybe you've heard of it. <laughs> Maybe I've heard of it. Uh, Jack being bad at Jack's Jackest. Mm-hmm. He's really good. And it's the Here's Johnny. But as much as it's the tone, mm-hmm. it's his face. Jack does a really good job with his eyes. His, bra- his brows, right? Yeah. Who am I to say that? Like I'm some mm-hmm. you know, method coach or something. But yeah. And he's on point in this and really, really terrifying. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's one thing about him real quick, and then I'll give you your number two. Yeah. When Wolf came out, yeah, I was excited oh, to see that I, film. I kind of like Wolf. I kind of do too. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember I was watching something that was behind the scenes on that, and they were talking about the reluctance to really go full hair makeup with Jack because they wanted Jack to just do Jack. Kind of where he's already very wolf-like, right? Kind of is. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, I had not seen The Shining before that, but that role got mentioned about that film, and that led me to The Shining. Mm which then showed me what Jack being Jack was like when yeah. Jack was a bad boy. Yeah. All work and no play makes Jack a bad writer. Yep. Yeah, Wolf's interesting. It's uh, The effects were also done by Rick Baker, who, you know, slayed with Werewolf in London, right? Uh, but just kind of doing a very different type of werewolf. It's more Lon Chaney Jr.-esque, yeah. but letting Jack's features shine through. I really like that uh, uh, that movie. I saw it a couple of years ago. Still Mike Nichols, right? Yeah. Michelle Pfeiffer. So you know, it's a weird Mike Nichols uh, movie for him to pick. That's a weird one too. Yeah. My two number, for you. My number two, uh, one of the all-time grades. Uh, it had to show up on one of our lists, if not both. Uh, that's okay too. Uh, Linda Blair, Reagan McNeil in The Exorcist. Uh, go back and listen to episode one, whatever. <laughs> we did The Exorcist. We spoke very highly of that mm-hmm. film and role and performance. But yeah, everyone... Just the visage of possessed Reagan, spit and pea soup, tongues a wagon, cuts, breath, whatever, opaque eyes. Uh, it's iconic to this day. It's I think when you think, you know, possessed character in films, I think you go there first. Mm-hmm. And then you think of all these other people. Uh, but, yeah, it's uh, had to be here. It's right. It's just it's so iconic. If It would be a shame to not put it on here. Such a good choice. It's my number one. Uh, couldn't have said it better myself. We did a whole show on it. Um, that set the standard that people still try to meet when they do creepy kids. Yeah. She paid the price for it too. Yeah. Hurt her back, hurt a lot of different things. Kind uh, of, you know, it's like a very, it was a very taboo role to take at such a young age. So she kind of had that stigma of it for much of her teens into her adulthood. Right. Yeah. And what's a pretty tepid career afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not a, it's not amazing. 
For everybody, though, that is getting a reboot or a proper sequel that's supposedly the first in a trilogy, kind of Halloween treatment style from what I read. Yeah. And she is supposed to make an appearance, if not more than an appearance, in the second installment in okay. that series. Yeah. Yeah, I know uh, Ellen Burstyn's floating around that for the trailer for the, for this one, but are you excited to see that as I am? Yeah, I am. Why not? I also just I might just be like a, not a popular you know horror opinion to have, but I actually liked the three David Gordon Green Halloween films in various different ways. Yeah, uh, like standard reboot, recall, whatever you want to call that first one, bad shit, crazy middle entry, and then. <laughs> Often, like, Season of the Witch territory for part three that everyone hated, but I love the direction they took it in. Yeah. So, um, yeah, if he's going to do that with The Exorcist, I know he's going to piss a ton of, like, hardcore fans off, but I kind of need new fresh blood in the possession Exorcist genre, so bring it on. I'm dying. If this is number two on your list, number one must be a doozy. Yeah, number let's, one's let's hear it. something else, and it's actually a newer film. It's it was it, It's been a, a little harder to find, uh, just a physical media release is kind of uh, a rare uh, uh, commodity. Uh, but I finally got to get my eyes on this film. Uh, I was going to bring it up a little bit later uh, when talking about Sam Neill because he is the co-lead in this film. And it's Possession from 1981. And the character I am picking is Miss Isabel Adjani as uh, she's playing two characters, actually. But... Uh, it's essentially a, a take a marriage story, throw some HP Lovecraft in there with some David Cronenberg body horror, but it's a possession movie in like war torn, like Poland or like some other country. What? Yeah, it is insane. And I'll say this much too. The performance she gives along with Cheryl Lee in Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me are the two greatest acting performances that nobody ever talks about because yeah. they're too weird and they're too out there. But what she does in this film, take what Joaquin Phoenix did in Joker and amplify that to an 11, and that's her. It's 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 so hard to explain. You just have to see it. So If I, we did a weird cast, would oh, that be one absolutely. of the selections? Yeah. And yeah, I would, it would be another one I'd love to do, just a raw, raw watch with you just to get your gut reaction to that. But oh yeah, it's weird, yeah. Weirder yeah. than Mandy. It's weir- it's just a really weird film. Uh, cool. But the acting's fun. No, Sam Neill's amazing in that thing. That's mm. like eight, 81, so it's two years. I see he, he had that, and then Final Conflict, Omen 3, and then uh, he, he was kind of in the running to play Bond, too. Like, he screen-tested for Bond around, like, For Your Eyes Only uh, Octopussy era. I can kind of see it. Like, yeah, I can uh, too, actually. So uh, we'll talk about him a little bit later, but yeah, my number one, it was the second you sent me the question. I was like, it has to be. It's my. It would have been Reagan had I not seen that film, but I've seen Possession, and yeah, it's number one. When did you screen that film? Uh, about a year ago? Yeah. I wonder if I can find it. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'll help you track it down, or you can wait and watch it with me. <laughs> Maybe we'll do that. There you go. Here's to your list. Yeah, to your list. Hey, I can't wait to talk about this little film here. Let's get to our review breakdown of Event Horizon. Everything I'm about to tell you is considered code black by the NSA. USAC intercepted a radio transmission from a decaying orbit around Neptune. The source of this transmission has been identified as the Event Horizon. Yeah. Well, that's bullshit. Stop. Scooper, you took me off the internet. Thank you so much. Cooper, as you were, let the man speak. What was made public about the Event Horizon, that she was a deep space research vessel, that her reactor went critical, and that the ship blew up? None of that is true. The Event Horizon 
It was the culmination of a secret government project to create a spacecraft capable of faster than light flight. I don't, excuse me. You see, you can't actually do that. The law of relativity prohibits faster than light travel. Relativity, yes, we can't break the law of relativity. We can go around it. The ship doesn't really go faster than light. What it does is it creates a dimensional gateway that allows it to jump instantaneously from one point of the universe to another light years away. How? Well, that's, that's difficult to... it's all math. Try us, Doctor. Right, well, uh, using layman's terms, use a rotating magnetic field to focus a narrow beam of gravitons. These, in turn, fold space-time consistent with veil tensor dynamics until the space-time curvature becomes infinitely large and you produce a singularity. Now, a singularity... Layman's terms. Well, fuck layman's terms. Do you speak English? That guy's really good in this film. Who? That, Sam Cooper. Neal? Oh. <laughs> They're all really good in this movie. But that guy's really good at that, like... Yeah. That role. He's like, that's some bullshit. Yeah. He's yeah. kind of like Childs in this film. Yeah. He's also kind of very uh, Parker... Yeah, mm-hmm. Fekoto, like, working class, didn't want to be here. Why did you wake me up for this? You we pulled me. We want our wages. Yeah, we want our, our wages. Yeah, you'll fall for your wages if you, this is our job, right? Uh, but let's start with this. Yeah. Uh, 2015, first permanent colony established on the moon. 2032, commercial mining begins on Mars. Hmm, got nine years to figure that one out now. <laughs> 2040, deep space research vessel Event Horizon launched to explore boundaries of the solar system. She disappears without a trace beyond the eighth planet, Neptune. 2047, now. I like that because Escape from New York kind of does that too, where they're like, in 1990, and then they do 1997, now. Like, this is present day, like, here's the rest of the story. So... The space program, we're doing some crazy stuff in this uh, in this future, in this film. We're colonizing Mars. We're getting, we're, we're mining, uh, or no, we're colonizing the moon. We're mining Mars for God knows what. Uh, yes. Resources. <laughs> yeah. Uh, water, oxygen, who, who knows? Helium, yeah. yeah. And then we're sending research uh, vessels into, into, into space. We're going to find out that, you know, it's going to take them, what, what about 40, 52 days to get from Earth to... Uh, the reaches of Neptune, so that's not terrible, uh, other than what it would take now, which is like decades. Yeah, right. Uh, so they figured out that type of space travel. They have they haven't figured out interstellar space travel, which faster than light. Just call it light speed, people. Mm-hmm. I'm sure no one uh, at a Skywalker Ranch will sue you for that. Yeah. But the Event Horizon has kind of figured that out with this kind of gravity. I don't want to call it a world engine because that's something other stupid, right? But it is kind of this gravity drive. bending yeah. drive, right? Uh, what do you think of that as the premise? A, uh, I love that the Lewis and Clark crew, I'm just going to call them the Nostromo, and I got a really cool alien parallel that we'll do a little bit later, right? Hard not to see it in this film. Yeah, especially with the characters, because they all kind of fit like those roles to a T. Yeah. Uh, I already mentioned one, uh, the Parker uh, Cooper role is, you know, this like working class like guy that's like repairing the ship, breaking down. He's got to like, you know, go retrieve things. He's just kind of like a working class grunt, right? Yeah. Uh, but I really like that, you know just still kind of showing how just shadowy government still is even in 2047. We can't tell these people anything about what the event horizon was and is. 
Uh, and then we can't tell them before accepting this operation, not until they're there, right? Mm-hmm. And I love the pitch from Sam Neill, which is, well, here's why we're here. And how do you know so much about it? Oh, I built it. I built the ship. <laughs> Ego? Mm-hmm. I'm curious with you, the first time you saw this film, was this a little too reheated with some of the premises of Nostromo for you? Did you feel like it was sort of ripped off or did that not bother you? I don't feel, I don't feel it, it rips off. I think, you know, parallel, I think, is just a better word is here we are doing literally a haunted house movie in, in space. And, you know, you have to have cannon fodder for that too, right? And I think that the best type of cannon fodder to make us care about these people is to kind of depict them as a little bit more blue collar working class. Um, they have a little bit more personality. Uh, mm-hmm. Is it uh, Smith? Uh, uh, what's Kathleen Kinlan? What's her character's name? I'll let go. Yeah. Uh, but her whole thing, I mean, Lawrence Fishburne says, you know, hey, I'm sorry. Thanks for taking this mission. Uh, sorry, we had to pull you off, you know, sooner. And she's like, that's okay. He'll, my son will go with his father. Uh, I'll get him for the summer when I return. Right. So you kind of, Peters. Yeah. Peters. Right. Uh, so you kind of get that, that kind of plight of these people have to go away for months on end doing this crazy work, much like, you know, Ripley having to leave a daughter behind. Right. Makes you care about these characters a little bit more. It's, it's something that honestly, Ridley Scott's return to the franchise with Prometheus and Alien Covenant could use a little more of this, mm-hmm. which is a little pathos with yeah. these characters caring a little bit about their their backstory. I think thanks. It's a, yeah, yeah. I think where the the corollary between this and the Nostromo are pretty easy to see. It ends rather quickly once you get into the teeth of what the film is. Yeah, like it's a, it's a, a ship rescue. Mm-hmm. It's been gone for a while, adrift, and we've seen it. Now, that's a really good premise. That is a shipwrecked boat. That is a car. Mm -hmm. That is any number of things that you just might find that maybe were left on purpose or maybe you didn't want to find. Okay, so it's, it's, it's hard for me to draw it, have issue with that because that's just a common story thread. Yeah. Where I think this really starts to make some headway for me is when we get these interesting flashes of Sam Neill's mm. ex home life. Yeah. And I'm saying ex home life because it feels fairly removed. And the line that you quoted is what took me down this path right now. Mm. I built it. Yeah. He is so invested in this gravity drive, which folds time and allows you to travel through essentially black hole jump points immediately that it's become his surrogate wife. Let me ask you, let's just do this now. And yeah. it's not revealed till a little bit later, but his wife commits suicide. Oh boy, does she. Sl- slits the wrists in the bathtub. Uh, After she fully does herself up in makeup and her hair and the whole nine. Yeah. What the? So what's your perspective? And when we see, when we're introduced to Neil waking up from his thing, he's shaving with the straight. Is it the same razor that cut his wife's wrist? Yes. That's kind of, yes. I, I don't know how do you dissect that well they could give him any kind of a razor and let's give paul ws anderson and all of his directorial premise yeah or promise yeah the um forthrightness to know that that would be loaded i think mm-hmm. he did that on purpose i'm yeah. being sort of a smart ass with mm-hmm. the poor filmography that he has but regardless yeah setting that up yeah to then pay it off later when we see what goes down mm-hmm. absolutely okay so here's the question i wanted to to get at here so did she do herself in because he was gone away being spaceman for years 
building the event event horizon or does he build the event horizon in response to the wife's death? Because I think it works either way. It For sure it does. Yeah. I think it's the first one because okay. all of the other flashbacks that we get yeah. are some neglect mm-hmm. or this taking precedent over them in each one of these people. Like every one of these people that we get flashback to flashes back to someone who was put aside for the larger interspace travel goal. Mm. So if you buy that, then he put her, he pushed her off to the side so that he could build this gravity drive and make this jump point through wormholes or black holes possible. Mm. Brings up an interesting question though. Yeah. If the event horizon in the flashbacks and we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but what eventually happens is these people discover the ship and and we'll talk about how this plays out with the flashbacks. Get in there. Um, if it flashes back to your deepest, darkest regrets, mm-hmm. then does it expose the evils or weaknesses of the characters in so doing? Mm. Peter's specifically with her son who's suffering from terrible bed sores and some paraplegia, maybe? Yeah. Um, polio, possibly. I'm not sure exactly what. Lawrence Fishburne. Um, his, his buddy that he leaves behind, Lawrence Fishburne is Captain Miller, by the way, all of these three, these three specific characters have left a loved one or a cared for or a relationship behind for mm-hmm. the betterment of the goal. Yeah. If that's in them mm-hmm. and certainly in Captain Miller, which is yeah. brass balls to the task. Don't dick around. We've got a job to do. And I think played really well by him. Yeah. Yeah, is he, it really just showcasing what's in people? Because this is an important point for Samuel. That's what I'm yeah, gonna, is it yeah. really what's showcasing what's deep down inside yeah, and uncannily repressed? It could be, yeah. Oh, fuck, that's even t- more troubling. Yeah. No, I, th- I think that's all played with very, very well. Uh, but it, yeah, I wanted to do that one because I think that's the biggest one is this, yeah, his wife, you know, dying and then just how she keeps reappearing and calling Billy, Billy. He's just like, he's like, come be with you. You don't need eyes to see where we're going and all this crazy stuff, right? Right. Essentially possessing him in a way. But uh, yeah, we got we got to get there first. And, you know, we do a good job, you know, introducing this crew. You know, yeah, you have Jack Noseworthy here. Justin. No, Mr. Justin. <laughs> Mr. Justin. Mr. Joshua's distant cousin. Yeah. Uh, but they also call him Baby Bear, Baby which Bear. Uh, is affectionate, but just like, you know, if I'm him, I'm like, guys, come up with a better name for me. <laughs> I'm a 32-year-old man. Great. <laughs> like, right. He's got a crazy scene a little bit later. We'll get to it. But, uh, yeah, Jolie Richardson, who's uh, kind of the second in command. She's kind of like the Ripley of the film. Uh, if uh, Miller's the Captain Dallas, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I think uh, Kathleen Kinlan's the Lambert of sorts. Yeah. You have Sean uh, Petrie, uh, Petrie here as he's the pilot. Name's escaping me. Smith. Smith, yeah. Uh, he's very Harry Dean Stanton to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Jack Noseworthy, I guess, in turn would be uh, Kane, uh, John Hurt, because he's the first to kind of like succumb to the effects of the ship. Yeah. So then that just leaves one crucial piece, which is Ash. And you kind of get two Ashes in this film. You kind of get a good Ash. Uh, Jason Isaacs as Dr. J? No, mm-hmm. what's his name? <laughs> yeah. DJ, um, right? Yeah, DJ. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 
And Sam Neill's a little ash as well, just kind of leading them along. Hey, guys, we have to uh, address this distress signal. It's your job. It's my job. So get on here. Uh, open that door. Let's let this thing on board with us. Oh, it's okay to be around this gravity engine. There's nothing wrong with it, right? So he's a little sinister, Ash, and uh, DJ's kind of like the, the good one, right? Mm-hmm. And this is just explicated to me because when he does this great, I love how when we discuss interstellar gravity hole traveling, it's always this, uh, this folding a piece of paper and sticking something through it and just like, well, you you cut the journey in half by just like creating a gateway, right? Mm-hmm. Christopher Nolan's Interstellar has like the exact same scene, right? Yeah. I think it's just a simple way to just visualize to like normal Joes and Janes, right? This is what these people are talking about. This layman's terms, right? Singularity. And what does he grab? Porno mag, right? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Right out of the pages of Alien. Exactly, right? Uh, so I, I thought that was good. And just kind of the way he's poking through is just like right in like, you know, it's like a face and then like the vagina, right? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it's just... We're kind of dancing all around the, these themes here, but he's got to get them on board first. They all flip out on him. They all don't want to be here. And then I'm going to play this next clip, and then I extra wouldn't want to be here, but then it's it's almost too late because they're right in front of the ship. Now, we've been unable to verify live contact, but TDRS did receive this single transmission. Listen to this. Houston passed the same recording through several filters, managed to isolate what appears to be a human voice. I'm not even sure if it qualifies as language. Latin. What? I mean, I think it sounds like Latin. Can you translate it? Play it again. Okay. You hear that? Sounds like liberate me something. I don't know. I can't make out the rest. Liberate me. Save me. Yeah, I'm out. Someone play some audio for that. You're like, hey guys, I'm gonna hang out on the ship. You can court martial me later. Take my wages. I'm not getting on a ship with that. No way. <laughs> it's horrifying sounding. Yeah. If. Their dander wasn't up. It certainly is now. And we're going to go onto that ship. Sam Neill doesn't seem to be remotely worried about that. Though. Oh, yeah. He, he, he kind of knows what's going on here. I think he does, too. Yeah. <laughs> Just leading, like, the, the cattle to the slaughter, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we get to the event horizon. This is something I really like. Like, I mentioned the haunted house in space, and quite literally... Uh, they pull up here to like the outskirts of Neptune, right? And it's storming. Like, so you got like a thunderstorm like outside. There's cloud cover. There's lightning, whatever. And then, um, you know, once they get on board the Event Horizon, there's a lot of just like haunted house spooky things in there. One is that like rotating like washing machine hallway. Mm-hmm. And if you go do like a haunted maze or walkthrough, like you'll see that in there. It's like strobe light disorienting your like equilibrium, right? Uh and then you have like all these walls and everything just peppered with guts. <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, and then this floating guy that uh, uh, Kathleen Kinlan runs into, who's just like gouged out, eyes missing. And they're like, oh, that doesn't look like uh, a decompression. That looks like some sort of animal got him. 
And we just don't talk about that guy ever again. Mm-hmm. And we're just like, wait a minute, that's pretty gruesome. And I just like when they're hanging out in the cockpit there and the camera just like pans to the right and it's just like blood guts, just like skin fillet uh, on the walls. It's so off-putting. Who man. Uh, I'm not sure, especially with the gut in the window part that you were talking about in, in those, mm-hmm. I guess they're windows. I'm not sure Kathleen Quinlan Peters even sees that. Yeah. So we do that thing where, okay, the dead body is probably a deal breaker, but that gets back to the same ruse and horror, which is, yeah, the sister did blood flooding around. If you can, much worse can it get? Keep going. Get out of the house. Let's stay mm-hmm. here for a few more nights. By loading it up and giving those guts strewn in those windows to only us, then we get a pretty dark and foreboding picture about what exactly they're walking into. Mm-hmm. If, if the, the audio yeah. from the tape didn't do it, oh yeah, let's get on, get done, and get the hell out of here. Yeah, grab the tapes. No one's here. They're all dead. And let's get out, I guess, blow the ship up. Does Sam Neill know? Because the idea is we have to investigate the ship. There mm-hmm. isn't really a specific task. It's like we have to go see where the ship has been. Yeah. Tow it home because the ship is far bigger than their ship. Yeah. The Event Horizon is a mother-sized mm-hmm. ship. Mm-hmm. Does Sam Neill know yeah. that before they go on there, what to expect there? I, th- I think he does know. I think he does, too. And it's not like eloquently told to us, but there's a part of me, and I don't know how this would happen other than through possession and science fiction. Uh, I kind of think he was on the Event Horizon when it gets when it went through the Hell Portal. Mm-hmm. And he came back. Mm-hmm. And then has to go retrieve it because he comes back. He's just he's just off the whole movie, uh, really sinister, and knows a little bit too much about everything, and is very unworried about the gravity engine, even though there's just skin skin fillets left and right. Doctor Weir, yeah, great, gr- great name, great, a great character, and it's very alien like in how they go. They go three people on. It's it's uh, Fishburne, Kathleen Kinlan, and Jack Noseworthy. And Jack is the first one to uh, kind of stumble across this gravity engine, right? And he's just like, oh, wow, this is weird. What if I touched it? And then he touches it, get, pulls him in. Mm-hmm. This silver surfer-looking pool of goo. Yeah. And it kind of shoots him out, or not yet, because uh, Cooper has to kind of go retrieve him. But it sends this shockwave through the event horizon onto the Lewis and Clark, essentially breaks that ship down to where they have no choice but to get on the event horizon because that has the workable oxygen. Kind of. They're, they're leaking carbon dioxide, so they're just breathing that in. So little Justin Baby Bear mm-hmm. stumbles upon the gravity drive, and I think it recognizes that he's there. I love that room, by the way. Oh, I do too. Yeah. Practical, mm-hmm. spinny... Orbs. Orb sphere. In a pool of water. In a very Giger-like, you yeah. know, spiky thing. Uh-huh. And it was all done at Pinewood Studios where they filmed the Bond movies. And I, I saw some of the footage of how they made it, just like laying like these like rubber things in this cylindrical sphere with this rotating mechanical apparatus. That's impressive. I just, I, I love stuff like that. And there's a lot of model work in this film too. Yeah. Where they really kind of like, kind of go a little too all in is on like the floating water bottles and bolts and nuts on the event horizon, it was like 97 CGI, and we just weren't a little quite there yet, we're right? We're quite there, yeah. Yeah, it, it looks a little funky, but when they do like a, a pullback of like the, the models and stuff, the, the work looks great. So 
So the gravity drive has left the event horizon with no gravity. Mm-hmm. So these people have to go in their spacesuits to generate their own grit. That's the, the Dr. Weir and, and Dr. Miller's crew. They arrive and Baby Bear finds the gravity drive room and it's spinning and still semi-functional until he gets in there and then it stops. Yeah. And it's almost like when it stops, the door creaks open a little yeah, it bit. it opens up, yeah. Being curious, because I guess he's 19, yeah. 35, playing 17. <laughs> yeah. Hey, was Brick and Meyer too busy for this movie? <laughs> well said. Yeah. yeah, good point. Yeah. He sticks his hand in there and pulls it out, and some little, like you said, silver surfery goo comes out. And then he decides to really stick his hand in there. Yeah. And he is sucked into this vortex. Yeah. I think, I'm curious what you think, mm. that him being sucked into this vortex is the energy that the gravity drive or the soul Mm. that the gravity drive is lacking Mm. to continue its conquest of mankind. Mm. Because when he goes in there, gravity returns to the ship. Yeah. The body that we saw floating falls to the ground and shatters into a million frozen pieces. Mm -hmm. And in that re gravitizing (laughs) of the event horizon, that's, there's no way that's a word. It blows the circuits. Yeah. In Dr. Miller's ship, mm-hmm. or yeah, no, um, Captain Miller's ship, yeah. leaving them nowhere to go except into the event horizon. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a genius move in the writing. Yeah. What yeah we, I, had to, we had to trap them, right? Trap them because there's nowhere, unless you just want to float around in space. Yeah, that's what I'm choosing. Hard pass. <laughs> yeah. But then they get on the event horizon and they find out that the scrubbers, whatever the scrubbers are, aren't working, and yeah. they have 30 hours. 20. Sorry, 20 hours of oxygen. So we've got time clock. To get the thing up and functional because their ship has a hole blown in the hole. Mm -hmm. So they've got to continue this investigation as Cooper, Mr. Blue Collar Mm -hmm. is tasked with patching this hole inside of the ship with sheet metal and soldering gun. It looks like yeah, him him and Smith, right? I think even Cooper says, how come I always get this shit Mm -hmm. job? (laughs) The clock's ticking though, man. Yeah. So it's ticking with what we know that the crew doesn't, Mm -hmm. which is the blood kind of windows and what the hell made that happen. Yeah. And it's also taken that they're running out of oxygen. And you might say, yeah. I can't believe Matt likes this movie. This sounds reheated from Alien and every other trope in space where they run out of oxygen. And I can't disagree with that. Yeah, I, I can't either. It's just executed fairly well. Yeah, it's acted really well. And it looks really cool, too. Yep. I always remember the look of the Event Horizon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the poster, you know, phallic for sure. But like the poster almost kind of like a scoreboard sign saying Event Horizon, right? Yeah. Uh, there's always something really unique about the the look and design of the ship, but uh, all that. Uh, so we got a ticking clock. We're stuck on there, and the film is ticking away because, ladies and gents, this film is a cool hour and thirty five high fives. And I don't, I don't know if what it's been. We've yeah. had good luck with that the last couple of weeks. Oh, yeah, Cronenberg. That was just that's just his bread and butter, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's a good thing for the movie, though, because there are places in here where I wish I had a little bit more skin on the bone, right? Tell me two hours. Yeah, we'll get, well, I'll, I'll explain in a little bit, but it does, don't you feel, it feels a little rushed in a couple places where it's just like, because there's a great line by Julie Richardson mm-hmm. later yep. where she's like, the ship's feeding off of our negative energy and it's almost like we're kind of manifesting this evil. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's cool. But like, we have no time to go there. Rewind. Wait, what did she say? Yeah. 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 And so there's, they're setting up cool ideas and like, now that we're doing, we're doing a lot of alien, but this film's about to get a whole lot of Hellraiser in here mm-hmm. too. Like very mm-hmm. Clive Barkery body, like S and M sadomasochism, 
hooks and skins and eye stuff and veins. And we're about to like really delve into a lot of that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the, just the road to the kind of making of this film. Cause I know you're going to enjoy some of this. So I mentioned Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat one, I think is like 95 was a pretty decent hit when it came out. It kind of came out in the heyday when that game was hugely popular. And like, I don't think it's aged pretty well, but it made some decent bucks. Mm -hmm. So you have a film like that, and what happens is like, well, you kind of get to pick and choose what you want to do after that. So Anderson had the choice to go do the sequel, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, which he passed, which thankfully that's one of the worst movies of all time. Mm. He uh, uh, was asked to do uh, X-Men 1. Passed with, on that too. Facts. Yeah, it just he passed on it because there wasn't enough time to turn it around and kind of do it justice at kind of the stage they were at, right? Wow. Uh, so that went to Singer and all of that. That's a different rest, story for another day, right? That's his history. I might want to see that. I, it might not have been very good uh, with Anderson's track record, but I kind of like that he was kind of tossed around around that time that they were trying to figure that out. Uh, but he loved this script to this film and a script for another film, Soldier, with Kurt Russell. And kind of the deal was, and what he explains in that uh, interview was, he agreed to go do Soldier, and Kurt Russell said, uh, I want to do it, but I need like eight to ten months to get in shape for this thing because it's a lot of me with my shirt off, and I'm pushing late 40s, 50s. Mm -hmm. uh, so that kind of opened up a window for Anderson, like Event Horizon, I can do that while I'm waiting for Kurt to get into shape. So I love that Kurt Russell figures into this story too. Love the guy. Yeah. Uh, so he goes to do Event Horizon with, um, and you know they wanted to kind of distance it a little bit from Alien, but it, that's almost impossible when you're doing a haunted house movie in space, right? Uh, I think part of the draw for him on also was Fishburne because this is in the middle of that Matrix stuff, and he's a hot commodity. Yeah. Well, the Matrix is two years away, but Matt, do you know who was? either offered or floated around with playing Miller. Denzel. No, but this makes it an entirely different movie. Who? Schwarzenegger. Oh, wow. I got to get to the gravity engine. We, uh, ah, it almost become, it would be, it would have become an Arnold movie, right? Yeah. It would become something else entirely, but Hey, in our, and Anderson would have been fired for Verhoeven. <laughs> it would have brought Verhoeven on. Man, are we making a better movie? What's going on here? <laughs> what are we doing? Yeah. Uh, but in our little uh, shelves there in our video store, we could watch that version. Mm -hmm. I would kind of like to see what does Schwarzenegger v. Neil look like on screen? Like, that would have been wild. Yeah. But not, not taking away from Fishburne, because I echo what you say. He's fantastic in this, in this film. So the other kind of thing working against Anderson was... Paramount's making a really big film at the same time as this, uh, a film that they're investing heavily in, Titanic. $200 million budget. It was the most expensive film of all time at the time of its release. We've passed that total many times. Many since, times. Right. With films like uh, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning. Like, yeah. why are we doing it, folks? But they're all in, in on Cameron's film, which is supposed to come out in June of 20, uh, 1997. And... He just needs more time. The effects need more time. The editing needs more time. And they're like, well, we got to give Cameron more time because we got a lot writing yeah. on this. But we need a movie to come out in the summer before Titanic comes out in the fall. So Event Horizon gets bumped up. And it kind of just shortened all the prep and everything for Anderson. Marketing like, plan. He had a 10-week. Uh, DGA rules give directors a 10-week editing window. That's like a rule. 
And that got trimmed to six weeks just to meet this deadline. Mm. So he's kind of up against it. Not really. There's no time for reshoots. There's really no time. You know, the effects, we got to get them as good as possible. Um, so it's it's interesting to see that this kind of all got across the finish line. Uh, we'll get to the aftermath and the reactions to screenings in a little bit. But what do you think of that? It's just, I, I love stories like that. I just, you know, Hollywood's in just a weird, strange place right now where like nothing's being done about anything. Uh, and, you know, you just, the wheeling and dealing of how movies get made, I say it all the time. I think it's a miracle that one movie gets made. Yeah, that's for sure. There's a lot of hands. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you said something to me off mic that I'm curious. So when this was slated for a midsummer release, yeah. I think July, August. Yeah. Did they have any idea about what they were making? I think they knew the story they were making. Did they know they were making a space horror film? I think they knew that. I don't think they knew it was going to be this scary, hyper-violent, uber-gore film until they saw the first cut of it. And they kind of left him alone. To So to Anderson's credit, they didn't like look over his shoulder, Fincher-esque, on Alien 3 and be like, what the hell are you doing until later? So this movie for me has no business coming out in the summer. This is an October release. Mm, Yeah. Fall for sure. It's not. So it, it it wasn't. And it plays, I think in the returns because they're very, very, very weak on this movie. It's a bit of an expensive movie. $60 million budget. Yeah. It's kind of in that weird, either go to a hundred or go to 20. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But yeah, so it's, it's a bit much, but yeah, we'll, we'll get to the rest of that uh, a little bit later, but you know, Mr. poor Mr. Justin, you know, he comes back from his trek onto the other side and he's catatonic as could be. He's on the slab. He's not dead, but he's unmoving. He's unresponsive. And this is where we start seeing a lot of the hallucinations. Kathleen Kinlan sees her son, you know, paralyzed, lesions galore on the slab here as well. Lawrence Fishburne starts seeing this uh, co-worker other coworker that he left to burn on another job. And he's didn't tell anybody about this. It's like kind of like dark Mark on his, Mm -hmm. uh, on his record. Right. And I like that they try and write it off as like, well, we're all kind of sort of breathing in noxious gas. So of course we're going to hallucinate with the, these conditions. Samuel's like, it's not a big deal. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of a big deal because the, 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 the house is armed and it's starting to do some crazy stuff to us. Where's Butterball? He's walking around the corner somewhere over there, too. Yeah. <laughs> the ship's reading their, like we talked about earlier, their weaknesses and mm. playing against them with it. Yeah. You're starting to get the feeling that even though there's this very scary audio that we're about to get into, and just not too much further, uh, a breakdown of the actual video that accompanies that audio, mm-hmm. that the ship is far too sentient for just this structure that's adrift in space. And that's brought up in the Joely Richardson piece that you were talking about. Sam Neill knows this. Mm. His wife is now dead wife is might as well be part of the crew for the frequency that she's showing up. And as much time as he's spending with her, mm. uh, we're bordering on mall from inception. Oh yeah. Time oh yeah. Very mall like. Yeah. And he doesn't seem to have any problem about existing in that space. And it's almost like he's repenting for whatever sins he feels for her death. 
And that's going to play also into where exactly the hell this ship came from. Because if we start talking about sin and resurrection and good versus evil, Mm -hmm. obviously we're playing in a pretty biblical space. And I think it's pretty certain that when it went through it, being the event horizon, went through that wormhole, what was the other side of that was hell. Here's the other- Literally, literally hell. Yeah, literally, yeah. The underworld. Yeah. Some sort of hellish, yeah, yeah. Landscape, right? I'm going to play the another clip here, and then i got another just huge, you know, hypothesis that we can dive down. Okay. This is the gateway. Now, these three magnetic rings, when they align, it creates an artificial black hole, which allows the ship to travel to any point in space. The black hole, the most destructive force in the universe. And you've created one? Absolutely, yes, because we can use that immense power to bend space-time. Look, it would take the Lewis and Clark a thousand years to reach our nearest star. But the event horizon could be there in a day. If it worked. You can come down, it's perfectly safe. So if Mr. Justin was sucked through your gateway, he could have gone wherever the event horizon's been? Theoretically, yes, but as I told you before, the gateway can't just open by itself. I see. Lieutenant, I want this room sealed off. Second containment from here on in is off limits. Yes, sir. Captain, there's no danger. The gateway's contained behind three magnetic fields. It's perfectly safe. Safe? Doctor, my ship is in pieces and one of my crewmen may not make it home alive. No one else goes near this thing. Hey, Lawrence Fishburne is so good in yeah. this film. Uh, okay, this is... So if Sam Neill, Dr. Weir, built the event horizon and this gravity engine to explore the far reaches of space. Quickly. Quickly, yeah. Instantaneously. He had to have tested it. So here's here's my mm-hmm. here's my theory. Did he test it initially, opened it up, boom, he went into hell, was like, oh my God, comes out, then gets the event horizon to go that way. Is he just Satan now? Is this just the devil walking around just getting people to like cross the threshold until we can like bring it into earth? Or I don't know what the end goal is of the evil here other than to like bring people into it and feed it evil. But that could be it. Is he just entirely evil? Because he knows what's there because he's gone there himself. He sent another crew there. Now he's sending another one there. Well, if you believe the manifest of the devil in its most and his its most innocuous state is temptation. Yeah. Then I think absolutely. Yes. Yeah. If that's a bit too much of a stretch, then all you need to do is fast forward about 20 minutes until you see the rebirth of Dr. Weir Mm. as the devil incarnate. Yeah. The question you pose, which, which version eyes gouged or sliced up face, (laughs) sliced up in Right. Yeah. The question you pose is an interesting one. Yeah. And it maybe plays into the space that his wife Mm -hmm. fits into. Yeah. How does he know it works? Yeah. How does he know? You don't just test drive that. And how is he so unafraid of it, right? It's just a black hole. It's perfectly safe. Come on down. It's either an amazing sales pitch or he knows what it does, right? The temptation element. Yeah. No, I think you're on it. He knows far too much about this to just be studied Mm -hmm. in the astrophysics and the engineering of creation. He seems to know the theory and the relativity equally well, which means there's some experimentation that's gone on. 
And if he's kept this secret, other than black, what do you say, black hat levels of Q yeah, codes. NSA, and, yeah, yeah. Who else has tried this? Mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think, I think he knows exactly what he's doing. I just think from a machination standpoint, you don't just invent something and not turn it on when it's complete and then just do it and then or save it for the test run on board a ship. Like you test it and then you put it on the ship because then you know what it does, right? Yeah, there's exactly. And yeah. there's two ways you go with an invention like this. Mm-hmm. One is to sell it yeah. and make fortune. Mm-hmm. Or the is to use it, and if it's as dark as the movie shows it, for not good purposes, you will be using it. Mm-hmm. So is then the ultimate villain because he's initially started at the behest of orders. Mm-hmm. Is the government the bad guy in this movie? They the told mist. him to build this thing and turn it on, and now we're in the mist. Yeah, they're sure. all Satanists. I don't know. Like a lot of questions get posed here. Yeah. And this is all hypothesis, ladies and gentlemen. These are all things that don't get answered, but there's a lot of, I think, gray area and playground to kind of think about what came before, what happened on the event horizon. Uh, I think you can make a prequel to this movie. Mm -hmm. You could probably expand on a lot of these ideas in various different ways. You have to think about that. Mm -hmm. You you don't have to. Well, who am I? Mm. You can just watch the movie and when it's over, be done 95 minutes. You don't have to do that because you know what that is? It's Prometheus. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Exactly. But if you do want to go down that road and this lights that interest ember in you, then this idea of how did you build this? Like you didn't just build the first one and it worked automatically with something that is as monumentally difficult to decode as black holes. You have to test drive it. So did you make a smaller event horizon? Did you use mice? Is this, you know, once you start going to the other side, whatever, and they never really say what it is, just the other side. Mm -hmm. You've got to come back with data. Yeah. But coming back with data is only piece of that is only a piece of the puzzle. The other larger construct of the of the puzzle is what it did to you. Mm-hmm. Has this man, this is kind of what I was teasing out earlier when I asked you what was in Sam Neill and, and the death of his wife. Is what's in this man that we see come out in a few short moments on the event horizon? always been there and been hidden in plain sight. As Kaiser Sose would say, the mm-hmm. devil's greatest trick he ever did was making the world think he didn't exist. Yeah. And then now that he's got a chance to run with this immensely powerful vessel, Dr. Hyde has taken the place of Dr. Jekyll, or Mr. Hyde's taken the place of Dr. Jekyll, and the devil is set to run free. Yeah. Because the other thing this plays on in horror is this thing that we talk about and you and I love so much, mm-hmm. duality. Mm-hmm. If you have the ability to set it free, yeah. would you? What does it look like? Yeah. And what is the consequence of everybody else for them getting to see your it? Mm-hmm. And that's that's the crux of horror. Yeah. You and I associate death mm-hmm. with hell. Yeah. That's whether that's mythology or just a place you don't want to go when you die. The Catholic, the Catholic mm-hmm. part of us is going to come into the podcast now for a few minutes, yeah. I guess. If, if horror plays in the space that lets you practice the uncanny and so you kind of test drive what those things might feel like, then this movie is doubling down on that. Because mm-hmm. if you go to the other side and the other side in this movie is hell, yeah. Yeah. that's where dead things go. Yeah. And evil dead things, right? 
So you're watching the dead thing come back possessed with the power of the underworld or hell or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And you've given that the power of hugely profitable science. Yeah. You see, this is where I wish that the the film was a little bit longer to kind of explore. Because I I do like the idea of like, you have all these characters that are racked with guilt for some sort of past trauma, leaving a kid behind, leaving a wife behind, leaving a coworker behind. Mm Mm-hmm. But if we kind of go into each one of them and how they're kind of all dealing with that, then you can kind of see how they're easy prey for this ship to just kind of manipulate them and break them down. We got a great scene here with uh, Mr. Justin. Justin, open the door. Did you hear it? Keep him talking. Yes. Yes, I heard it. Do you know what it is? It shows you things. Horrible things. What does? The dark inside me from the other place i won't go back there i won't no baby bear come on open the door i don't think she can talk him down he's better he's gonna turn inside out no no you stay with me i've almost got it i've almost got it you stay with me justin come on now open that door if you could see the things i've seen you wouldn't try to stop me no that's not you talking that's not you talking that's it that's it right there open the door go for that button come on Okay. Okay. <laughs> Captain Justin just activated the door. It's on a 30 second delay. Justin! Justin! <laughs> I love it. He's trying to like space swim to him to get him here. He's in this airlock. Eyes bloodshot. Uh, opens up the airlock. It's going to decompress in 30 seconds. They're trying to talk him to like get into like a like a fetal position and like blow all the air out of your cover lungs. your eyes. Yeah, so I don't know what what could prepare you to like just expose yourself to space for like even a second, right? That's just like instant like freezing and just like everything inside of you is just gonna like compress. After that alarm goes off and he comes to realizing what he's just done, which is said about his own demise. Yeah, it's almost like he snaps out of it for a second. What's also really troubling is that Peters, who's been having flashbacks of the son she left behind, who is not being taken care of properly, yeah. is failing again as a mother. Mm-hmm. This ship keeps beating you up over your own weaknesses. It's playing on your frailty. As Natasha or Zoeli Richardson put it, Lieutenant, whatever the hell her name is. Stark. Stark, there mm-hmm. you go. The ship is very aware of who's on it and what their problems are. Mm-hmm. Man, that's terrifying, Jesse. This ship has a life force, a cerebral ability, and I hate sentient AI. You know, that's like one of my yeah, least. That's, yeah, maybe. Unless it's sentient Hang AI on. from hell. Hang on, what do you dislike least? Do you dislike <laughs> the sentient AI or is it the man versus nature? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> Depends on the day. I think man versus nature might be worse. Really? I yeah. Think I hate that. I, I hate that story. Yeah. I love a good disaster movie, but. You know, the A, I think, can be done well, but I think it's done poorly more times than it's done well. Like, for every Terminator, there's, like, a freaking Ultron, right? Yeah, yeah. true. Yep. Anyway. Oh, that, you just nailed why I hated the second Avengers film, because yeah. it's Ultron. It it's, is, yeah. There's other reasons, but that's a big one. Well, he's, you know, man, we need, we, we it's, that should just go on our, the epitaph on our gravestone, or just, like, we destroy, ru- ru- destroy the world to rule over rubble. How many times have we said that? But that's, like, his thing in that. <laughs> and, yeah, of course a robot's going to say that. He's not alive. Anyway. Poor Mr. Justin, or mm-hmm. Justin. 
And he knows he's still alive after all this, right? He's had a bad day. Yeah. He's been to the other side and then he's <laughs> been on the other side of a vacuum as well. Cause he puts himself into space <laughs> and I guess he's tackled back into the spaceship just before his body freezes or implodes. I'm not sure which Yeah, he's in bad shape. Here's the thing though, Jesse, he doesn't die. I know. So at well, the end of the a, film, that's going to bring up a, like yeah. the sequel is right there. Yeah. This dude has been on the other side. Yeah. He gets to sit out the rest of this shit show that's about to take place in the next 30 minutes. But it wasn't Jason Isaacs have some lines like I was able to uh, sedate him and, you know, kind of patch him up. But uh, he's never going to look the same. <laughs> that's exactly, he's never going to look the same. Hey, don't save me, man. If I'm going to look like some sort of like toxic Avenger, <laughs> dude, flush me into space. Oh, Jesus. Flush me into space. It ain't worth it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he somehow survives all that. And it's just now everyone's uber paranoid. Dr. Weir is way more sinister. Mm -hmm. And I think we've come to the conclusion of, Hey, our ship's almost repaired. Let's get off this thing. Let's get out of Dodge. And we're going to blow, uh, this thing to kingdom come. Captain. Don't do this. It's done. Ship, you can't just leave her. I have no intention of leaving her, Doctor. I will take the Lewis and Clark to a safe distance and then I will launch attack missiles at the event horizon until I'm satisfied she's vaporized. Fuck this ship. Captain Miller, the bioscan just went up the scale. It looks like the core is, is draining power from the rest of the ship. Get the files. Vacate. I want off this ship. She won't let you. You just get your gear and get back on the Lewis and Clark, Doctor, or you'll find yourself walking home. I am home. Ah! Yeah. Let's talk about Sam Neill for a little bit. We uh, mentioned him a little bit earlier, and we've been playing his audio clips throughout the thing and talking about him as his character, but I kind of equate him to, like, you know, a really great, like, it's hard to call him, like, a lead actor material because he's, like, not, Not classically like George Clooney, handsome, but the guy can command a role mm -hmm. and a film. Like he led the one of the biggest films of all time, Jurassic Park, mm -hmm. uh, which they said Kurt Russell was also in the running to play Alan Grant. Hey, give me that movie. I'll watch that every day of the week. Yeah, but I love Sam Neill. I, I Possession, great. Uh, I like uh, Omen Three: The Final Conflict. Mm -hmm. He's really good as Sinister Damien, trying to make like a senatorial push mm -hmm. for political power in that thing. And then you have, you know, the other John Carpenter film, In the Mouth of Madness. You have Dead Calm. Uh, you have this. Uh, nice total career. A really good career. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot that we just haven't even mentioned. What's your just consensus when you when you, when, when you when you think of this guy? I mean, he was in that dread-awful <laughs> Jurassic World Dominion we talked about last summer. Yeah, he was in that. Uh, there's a few misses in there, certainly. A few, man. Oh, oh, in his career or in that movie? No, no, in his career. I was going to say that movie was a dumpster <laughs> fire. <laughs> That's a yeah, great big yeah. Tyrannosaurus-sized miss. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to say we missed him because we didn't. He was never going to be leading man material, but he's in a very capable cast with like William H. Macy, dare I say Mr. Claude Rains, uh, and we teased those, especially the Claude Rains thing a lot. But movies need... The Hunt for Red October. Yeah, right? I, the piano, see with Holly Hunter, yeah. uh, At, nominated yeah. I think for that award in that role I believe. Yeah. 
Give me yeah, a, he's super talented. Give me a second here. I okay. don't see him leading a film other than maybe some independent or kind of mm. odd movie. Uh, I would say this. I think he's the best actor. No. He is the best, not, how do I want to put this? The most David Lynch non-used actor that David Lynch never used. He is Kyle McLaughlin with talent. <laughs> I like Kyle McLaughlin. I, t- I take that a little personally, Matt. No, I like him. He's good. Yeah. Samuel's good. Yeah. In, in this. Yeah. In this. It's Lawrence Fishburne's movie, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And he's a really good bad guy. He's a good second. Um, yeah. yeah. He's really good in uh, Taika Waititi's mm. second movie. It's called The Hunt for the Wilder People, where it's plays on that trope that you love, which is here's a guy who's taking care of an adolescent youth, and he has no business you know, being a father figure. Love it. Uh, have you seen it? No. Fantastic movie. It's hilarious. Comedy. It's, it's got that Waititi like, humor to it. It's set in New Zealand, where they're both from, right? Uh, oh, yeah, check that out. And he, he's great in it. He's great in it. Cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I'm with you. It's, I don't think it's a career we missed because it's there. It's in the filmography. But I think maybe underappreciated. Yes. He's kind of like floats around like kind of like like Rick Moranis, like just amazing in like these like huge roles, right? Mm-hmm. I just rewatched Ghostbusters the other day, Matt. Mm-hmm. Amazing. It's, you know... T- you, Take 1984 out of it, and the effects look as they do. But the efficiency of the story is just its just so clear to me now every time I watch it. It's just, it, it hits everything right when it needs to happen. Mm-hmm. But my God, Rick Moranis is just a gem in that movie. It's Louis so Tully. <laughs> just, he's so neurotic and just out of control. Having a party tonight, you should come by. <laughs> I'm going to have myself a shower. I have a C-acelicelic acid. I get 15 of that for 15 the name brand. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if, if you're looking for a good spooky watch this spooky season, if you haven't seen Ghostbusters in a while, watch it. it it'll be a phenomenal hour and 45 minutes. Can you believe that? What a runtime. Yeah, great. Um, but yeah, everything's going to hell on this ship here. Uh, we didn't mention that scene that I really like, which is Sam Neill crawling around the Matrix ducks, which is he's got to find like the fuse that blew out. And he also sees the dead wife again. Mm -hmm. But we're trying to get off this ship. Kathleen Kinlan and Smith are trying to get these oxygen tubes out. And then she sees this son walking around. First of all, I'd be like, hey, lady, he's walking around. You know that ain't real. Right, right. (laughs) But she follows him and they walk to some crevasse or Mm -hmm. mezzanine system, some scaffolding. And he boos her or something. And then she takes a tumble and a half down to the gravity drive, the bells to the gravity drive. And she's all torn up. So that bye-bye to this character, right? Peters is gone. And then Sam Neill's uh, snuck onto the Lewis and Clark armed a bomb and then jets. (laughs) He's also missing eyes at this point, Mm -hmm. ladies and gentlemen, his uh, dead wife has instructed him to gouge him. Oedipus Oedipus himself. Right. So now he's walking around eyeless, but arming bombs, blows up the Lewis and Clark, blows up Smith. I, I love that scene. I love this in movies. It's 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 a silly trope, but I, I really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. When like the guy doesn't know there's a bomb, but then like looks at the bomb, but it's like at four, three, two, <laughs> and it's too late. And they're just look on this face, it's either an oh shit or an oh well, or a like like a just like a kind of like an here it goes and Boom. Here goes this ship. Here goes the, like the whole scaffolding and part of the event horizon too, for that matter. And then poor Cooper gets 
blasted off into space. And he has a fantastic scene <laughs> floating around out there, which is like, how come this shit always happens to me? Oh, figure it out, figure it out. I got to use, I'll use think, my... Think, 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 think. I'll use my jet boost. And then he like decompressed, kind of like what Peter Quill does in Guardians 3, which is like hole up enough oxygen to propel you through the vacuumless space, right? Yeah. So he's going to fly to the event horizon. But after he flies, he's like, I'm coming for you, motherfuckers. He's awesome. It's so good. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> you think this guy's going to die. And that ain't the first time because, you know, we have like two crew left, right? We have Fishburne and Jolie Richardson at this point. Justin. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In his stasis tube. Oh, Mr. Jason Isaacs. Mm-hmm. Uh he gets Hannibal Lecter on this on this ship. He gets filleted like a piece of meat in the most, I think, Hellraiser-y scene of the film, which is he's hooked up and innards splayed out. Oh, got spilled on the table. Yeah, and this was my favorite piece of trivia reading about Event Horizon. So the film wraps. Jason Isaacs goes to the makeup crew, and he's like, hey, guys, can I have the puppet that you made of me that was strewn about? And... I think the makeup people were like mortified at this. Like, why would you want to like have like the deconstructed inside of your, so they lied to him and said, no, we still need to use it, but they did it. <laughs> they didn't want to give it they to him. They didn't want to give it to him. They thought it was weird <laughs> as hell. Yeah. But you know what? As an actor, I was like, this is a weird experiment. And you know what? I might want to have my like deconstructed puppet in like the corner of my office. Heck yeah, man. Anyway, I just love that they just they had to lie to this guy because they just thought it was too strange. It just I loved it. No I, man, that's weird. I, I mean, we were using it for the next scene. We got to use it for reshoots. That won't ex- ever happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, so the crew's going one by one. Hang on a second. I, 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 I love Jason Isaacs as an actor. He's always playing this type of character. This kind of like supporting whether it's Lucius Malfoy or that. Oh yeah, that crooked general in the Patriot. Oh, oh, yeah. He also plays another Brainiac in Armageddon. Like, he's consistently, like, really good at playing, like, quiet, sinister Brainiac type. So They put together a very talented cast yeah, for ab- this film. Absolutely. Yeah. Not big names, but capable, capable actors mm-hmm. of fitting into lots of different shoes and making me believe it. Um, unfortunately for Jason Isaacs, JD or DJ, DJ mm-hmm. uh... I think his demise is probably the worst of anyone. Oh gosh. Yeah. He wa- he comes to on the table mm-hmm. with Dr. Weir above him with some weird scalpel, ska, uh, matic space tools. Who the hell knows what? Yeah. And we don't get a look at him other than head up and blood starts coming out of his mouth and his eyes go wide. But then what I love about it is like, okay, the movie's going to give us a break because we don't need to see that. We get it because the sound is telling. No, you're going to get it because when Captain Miller comes around the corner mm-hmm. looking for DJ, he finds him in that room or what's left of him in that puppet. Yeah. Oh, and the table, Jesse, below him, it's just covered. Yeah, it's gross. Last house on the left style. <laughs> it's really gross. Oh, innards everywhere. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. And there's no reason mm-hmm. for Dr. Weir to do that other than it's, pure hatred. He's the devil. Yeah. He just hates. Yeah. Yeah. He's pure evil at this point. Did him no good. Didn't get him closer to his wife. He wasn't exacting revenge on her behalf. He just is this murderous, mm-hmm. horrible thing. Yeah. Devil. Well, we should probably mention this too before we get to the, the finale right here where they encounter Weir on the bridge, right? All mm-hmm. eyes gouged out because I have the audio for that. Mm. Um, we got to talk about what happened to the Event Horizon uh, because it is a source of controversy. Uh, and from the glimpses we see, uh, 
It's crazy. It's, uh, the best way I can describe it is a hell orgy. Uh, it's just on the bridge. Yep. Everyone's getting fucked left and right. They're getting filleted left and right. You can't make heads or tells of different parts. Uh, it's weirdly sadomasochistic. It's Clyde Barkery. It's Hellraiser. Uh, it's grotesque. Yes. And you're watching it. It's all scrambled and it's hard to decipher what's what. And I think Paul W. Sanderson actually used real porno actors uh, in this scene. So they like really went for it for authenticity, but then like this is one of the things that like obviously got like mega trimmed down, right? It's just like the the blood orgy scene. You guys might be thinking, how the hell did we get there? Peters finds a like a like a, a CD drive. She's trying to figure out what happened on the ship, all the files yeah. in the med bay, and then on the bridge of like, well, what happened to these people? So she pulls this out of the drive and takes it, and they they view it, mm-hmm. and so this is the visual that goes with the audio. That's the save yourself, save me, liberté, whatever that Latin phrase is. It's it's done really quickly, so it's very difficult to kind of get it, but you get enough to see some kind of brutal penetration, mutilation, bodily fluid, lubricated with blood. Like you said, hell orgy has occurred on the deck of the event horizon that thou, they are on, and they have nowhere else to go. Their little ship, which I don't even know the name of their little ship. We, the Lewis and Clark. Yeah, but duh. The Lewis and Clark has been blown to hell. There's nowhere to go. You're running out of oxygen. The devil is on board with you. The ships come back from Satan or from hell. And Dr. Weir comes to the only conclusion you can come to, which is we can blow up two-thirds of it, and I'll make sure that's carried out. Miller, right. Did, yeah. Did, yeah, Miller, sorry. Mm-hmm. And you all can escape on the one-third back to wherever the hell we're going They'll pick you up in an SOS, and they have six minutes to enact this plan. We're back to that alien space, yeah, which is mother. Yeah, literally, it's <laughs> like we got to gather some supplies, get on this thing, and hopefully something doesn't ambush us on the way to right. do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we get this great scene on the bridge now. Now, the first time I saw Event Horizon, I, I think it was like college years. I finally sat down to watch it. And was just like, oh wow, it's just this is well, this is wild. Especially since I knew who the director was, and I'm like. Resident Evil, Paul doesn't. I was like, I hated that those movies, uh, and a- ended up marrying uh, Mila Jovovich. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been together for like twenty five years. Uh, the first time I saw glimpses of Event Horizon was late nineties on HBO, like HBO Saturday premiere night, and this was the scene I remembered was. That guy from Jurassic Park is sitting there with like no eyes and just bleeding. I was like, what is that movie? Change the channel. Yeah. Oh my God. What happened to your eyes? Where we're going. We won't need eyes to see. What are you talking about? I created the event horizon to reach the stars. But she's gone much, much farther than that. She tore a hole in our universe, the gateway to another dimension. A dimension of pure chaos. Pure evil. When she crossed over, she was just a ship. But when she came back, she was alive. Look at her, Miller. Isn't she beautiful? Your beautiful ship killed its crew, Doctor. Wow. 
she has another crew. Now she has us. Real good stuff. And then this is when Cooper reemerges, like right in like the the front windshield of the event horizon. And he's like, hey, I survived. And then this is where I thought he was going to get like killed again because Weir has some sort of like harpoon gun, shoots it at this window. And I thought it was going to like pierce Cooper, right? And then the... Uh, depressurize the the bridge here but luckily it like stops just short of his like chest and then he flies off to like find another entrance into this place and then weir flies out the out the cockpit so we're like oh good like this ghoul's gone right but now we got a, a ship that you know is losing oxygen we're gonna blow this thing up uh let's use that you know part of the ship as our rescue ship they'll pick us up in a couple days with the sos but we got to blow this thing to hell. And it's up to the captain, right? Captain Miller. And here comes Weir again, but it, well, it's a different Weir, right? This is the this is the pinhead Weir. So his eyes come back. Yeah. Interesting. So is this an acknowledgement back to the, the theories or the hypothesis part of the show that the devil side has now succumbed to the human side and it's worse? Because what he says is where we're going, we don't need eyes. Where we're going, we don't need bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 So his eyes come back and instead of kind of what looks like somebody who's been in a really bad like alley fight, he has very geometrically Oh, that's what an alley fight looks like. I guess. Yeah, this is You've like... been bottled really bad? <laughs> no, this is like <laughs> No, like he's been like vivisected. Yes, yeah. Like some sort of like anatomy dummy. Mm-hmm. He looks like something out of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. A bald he looks gruesome. Yeah. Like he looks like some sort of like like a wrestler would come out on stage on like Monday Night Raw mm-hmm. and like would fight as this guy. No, thank you. This this is worse than eyeless weir, right? Yeah. You got to You know, when we talked about the Wolfman, came up like why is Lon Chaney's Wolfman bipedal instead of on all fours? Mm-hmm. And we came to with this idea of duality. Yeah. That side of him that the it that this set free was never really all that great because he's been a voyeur the whole time. So this looks like that sort of a wolf. <laughs> he's been a voyeur. <laughs> yes. With that big telescope With, of his. Watch out. Is that a telescope in your pocket? <laughs> um, yeah, Gwen, it is. <laughs> or stick with a silver handle. That's what's in my pocket. Oh my god! I, I love the Wolf Man, but man, Larry Talbot's sleazeball play, sleazeball play to like get that girl to go to the yes. weird gypsy fair with him and her friend that gets mauled by a wolf is just bad date insanity. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> but I think the Doctor Weir in this is sort of like that. Yeah. Now that the transformation's been complete, because he's been sucked out into space, which would kill him. Yeah. But he comes back into the gravity drive when they are ready to finish the event horizon off and, and save the world, the you know, introduction to this hell vehicle. So is this the real weir then? That, that's what I'm getting to. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. This is the real weir. This is the weir that I think had ties to his wife's death. Mm-hmm. This is the weir that was so caught up in his own ego over the gravity drive that it corrupted him innately. This is the real weir. The weird that went into it, right? And I think you can argue it's maybe more powerful in a different way, just as sinister looking as the one that we saw on the bridge mm-hmm. without the the Oedipus version of yeah. Dr. Weir. 
Yeah, this is pretty horrifying. Yeah. This, this is pretty gruesome stuff. So, and Clyde Barker, the way he said it, is spot on. It's so pinhead. Yeah. It's very, yeah, just like body. Mm-hmm. If it's not body horror in Cronenberg way, it's no. body horror in like a sadomasochistic way. Yeah. So I can only equate that to Barker. Yeah. Right? yeah. Uh, they get into a bit of a fisticuffs here, and, you know, it kind of dawns on Fishburne. He's like, well, I'm not getting out of this thing, so kaboom. Uh, meanwhile, Julie Richardson and Cooper are, you know, trying to get out of here and they're just being rained on blood, right? It's just blood's coming from the ducks and just like trying to flood them out. Uh, but they're able to get out of here as the event horizon just goes sky high. Uh, and yeah, we're about to wrap up here and, you know, (laughs) unlike alien, there isn't like an act four where we got weird on the ship, like terrorizing them for like another 10 minutes, they get into their little cryopods. They're going to wait to be picked up by the rescue rangers. And they wake up. And we get we get a nice... They've done a, a, some pretty good little, like, uh, dream, like, gotcha moments. And it's another one as weird as one of these, like, rescue guys. And she freaks out. But uh, the ending's strange. It's just kind of like, you know, like, no, no, no. We're safe. We're safe. We're safe. And then it just quietly fades to black. And then... Movie's over, right? The end. Uh, do you want a little bit more? Do you want a little bit more wrap up? I, I I'm kind of wanting just a teensy bit more of. They don't need to get to Earth, and we have a whole debrief, but some sort of something. I don't. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I, I want a little something more wrapping this whole crazy adventure up. Uh, yeah, I can see that. I'm yeah. o- I'm okay with it because. Justin yeah. is still alive in stasis mm-hmm. and the whole ship, the entirety of the event horizon yeah. has been to the other side, not just the part that got blown up. Yeah. So this escape pod was also in that other side. Mm-hmm. So if you believe that she is no longer a machine and she is now living and look at how beautiful she is, yeah. that piece of it is still corrupted and it's got another Dr. Weir in there. It's just Justin this time, yeah. baby bear. And it, it would be like a real haunted house, right? Like yep. the house is possessed. You can't, uh, uh, so it would fit in that, in that regard. It kind of does lean on the side of it's enough for one movie, but there's a second piece coming that never is going to happen, which the numbers and the other stuff we're going to get to here in just a couple minutes. But I don't feel safe for any of the survivors. I don't mm-hmm. think any of them are going to be okay. No, oh, yeah. You've went through a very traumatic experience, right? The other question too is if you went like Mr. Justin went through the gravity drive to the other side, if the gravity drive is in that ship Mm -hmm. and it is transporting the entirety of the ship externally, how does the gravity drive come from the bowels of engineering inside the ship emit out Mm -hmm. travel through And then when you turn it down, shut it. It's almost like turning a sock inside out, right? Exactly. (laughs) The gravity drive is in the ship. The question I have is, did they ever get out of the other side? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Did they ever really get out? I mean, this could just be like the inside outside of... Like you said, a sock turned inside out is perfect. Yeah. And they're stuck in the middle of that fuzzy piece on the inside that smells like sweat that's been in your gym bag. (laughs) But on the outside is not any more better because hey, is, is that lint? No, it's just it's Satan. <laughs> yeah, toe gem. No, that's the devil. Yeah, that it's the devil walking. Oh, uh, there's so many questions with the science, and so what I'm saying here is, as much as I would like a little bit tighter ending, 
I think the conversations that you and I have had with the different possibilities that this movie poses would be better served in two hours, but it makes it a fun watch. And I think that there's infinite ways you could go. We'll never see anything more. There's never Event Horizon 2. Well, let's get to that. Let's get to the, to the two-hour version. So Anderson, yep. in his six-week truncated editing time, has to deliver a, a first cut that's two hours and ten minutes long. We're going to screen it for the Paramount Brass and a cadre of uh, investors, press and public to say, hey, mm-hmm. what do you think of our new film? They're mortified. They see this thing and they're just like sex orgies, visions from hell. This thing is like so gruesome that they're just like, whoa. And it's confusing. So you need to trim this down, cut out some of that gore. And we went from 210 to like, not like 148, which would have been perfect for me. 136. 135. I mean, honestly, 128 with all the credits, right? Yeah. I mean, this thing's lean. Yeah. And maybe a little too lean where I think they just like kind of like really speed through uh, some of the stuff. <laughs> yep. But that's what Paramount wants. And this, you know, guy who's delivered one hit doesn't really have like a lot of pool. He's not like Nolan, right? Where he's just like, well, I'm going to deliver the film that I made for you. They're horrified. And then notoriously, Paramount has got to be the worst studio about doing this. We're going to talk about this again in just a couple weeks. But with mm-hmm. the Friday the 13th films, all this extra juicy bits that like people love, the horror f- fans love, the, all the all the gore and juicy bits. They don't hang on to them. They just chuck them into the trash. Destroy it. Yeah. So the only version of the the that initial screening uh, exists in a VHS rough cut that one of the producers found years later. It was like, mm. oh, hey, here's the original thing. Mm. He showed it to Anderson. He was like, yeah, maybe we could do something with this, but the quality so poor compared to what we watched that uh, it would be very noticeable. So he's even kind of written off. I don't think we're ever going to see a director's cut because... That footage don't exist unless someone could unearth the original camera negative that they projected at that screening. If it's in some vault somewhere, yeah. uh, then we might see it. So I'll hold that hope for that. I'll hold that because, you know, crazier things have happened, right? Uh, but if this is what made it to print mm-hmm. and made it to theaters, mm-hmm. how gruesome was what we didn't see? Because oh, this yeah. movie does not really pull any punches. Well, even in some of the deleted footage that we have seen that is yep. that does exist on the behind-the-scenes features of, like, bloody weird crawling down ladders mm-hmm. and just bloodbaths galore, more visions of hell, more blood orgy, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think the death scenes are probably a lot more intense. Yeah. We might see more of Jason Isaac's vivisection <laughs> is that what you want would i want to see that oh absolutely yeah this movie's there anyway why are we pulling like dude i'll go sell, ahead and finish i'll it sell now. my soul the event horizon so i can see the version of <laughs> Don't the movie. i'm leaving now <laughs> okay <laughs> but i like that I, I love seeing you know i love alternate cuts to movies yeah. even something as trash as the Zack snyder cut of justice league i'm glad we did eventually get to see that thing right i liked it better so, yeah yeah, it was better. It still had a contrary, contrary of issues, but yeah, it was a, a better than what was released. So, mm. oh, absolutely. If if you told me that there's a longer version with more stuff and more expansion, I'm never going to complain. I'm always going to check it out. And then I'll be the judge of which one was better. Was it better leaner or was it better with more meat? Yeah. You never know. Uh, but the numbers, it, it releases, I believe in, I think... Let me get you an exact date here. I want to say July. It might have been August. Uh, August 15th. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of a bad mm. month, right? Yep. End of the summer movie season. Like, not a lot of really great stuff comes out around that time. 
So $42 million gross worldwide, $60 million budget. So it doesn't even break even with its worldwide grosses. Mm. But it's pretty popular on the video market and right around the advent of DVD, right? So people discover this thing out there and it does develop a bit of a cult following, which only gave credence to Anderson and crew to... Is there a possibility to do a director's cut? Oh, no, the footage doesn't exist. So it kind of, it ended there, right? Uh, uh, rumors of... Uh, they have had discussions, I guess Paramount maybe, of like a TV show and also a prequel or a sequel. Do you want to see any of those? And which one? If you could only pick one. Do you want a TV show? Do you want a prequel? Which would, I guess, be the story of the Event Horizon, right? Yeah. Or do you want a sequel, which is kind of everything you've been pitching with Mr. Justin? I think I want a sequel. Yeah. How about you? I might want to see the prequel. Yeah, there's, there's some space Sam there Neill testing that thing for the first time and then persuading the Event Horizon to do it. It's very thing-like, right? It's very the, mm-hmm. the Norwegian camp of Outpost 31, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, but I think that, that that's it on, on the film. What's your favorite tasting note, moment, scene, sequence of Event Horizon? Hmm... I think it's the first plunge into the gravity drive with Mr. Justin when he gets sucked in. There shouldn't be just this massive hole in the middle of organic material or matter. Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen. So you really do get, I think for a moment, briefly, how powerful the gravity drive is and what exactly they're playing with. He literally disappears into nothing in a space that is clearly defined with structure. Mm-hmm. So there's, I mean, there's lots of violence and there's, there's troubling moments and there's some scary stuff. And my favorite moment is that we're on the ladder, which is in the deleted scenes on, on yeah. the VHS or, or DVD or 4k or Blu-ray or whatever and watch it. Mm-hmm. But that's not really in the film. So I can't use that. Watching Mr. Justin disappear is pretty terrifying. That's really, you are, you could not be more alone. Yeah. And what's really weird about that, Jesse, we didn't talk much about this. He's tethered mm. to the Lewis and Clark, right? An umbilical cord, like <laughs> oh, yeah. which I, that's every time I think this, I'm like, he's being born again hard mm-hmm. as he's pulled out of the womb of this gravity drive by Cooper. He's a born again Satanist, <laughs> which yeah, is really, really troubling. He's yeah. called baby bear. Yeah. That, I, that's more troubling <laughs> than this, anything else. The child on the ship who yeah, Peters won't. couldn't save is born again out of this black womb of hell. Fuck, yeah. Look out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. I don't ever want to be that guy. I would rather die any other way. Yeah. On some wood. Yeah. Than that. Yeah. And then that's after his decompression, right? Yeah, and he's not even dead. He comes back. <laughs> and then when we get to see, the reason also that's troubling is when we see yeah. what he saw on the other side in his flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Yeah. It's he wild. S and M. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, mine's going to be the scene on the bridge. It was the first scene mm-hmm. I saw glimpses of as a kid. And you know, those scenes like always stick with you. And then when you see the movie fully, you're like, I don't have a ton to be afraid of, but I'm still kind of mortified, right? It's just, that's a very off-putting scene. I think Sam Neill and Fishburne are really good going back and forth. But at that point, you're like, you're in a full-on horror show at that point. You're yeah. just you're just waiting for the bodies to hit the floor. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the... Oh, my God! Moment of Event Horizon. DJ's gut spilled all over the table. That's a good one. Did we really see that? We really saw that. Mm. Welcome to the last house on the left. Yeah. Times two. Uh, I am going to pick uh, 
baby bears <laughs> decompression sequence just because it's so chaotic and they're yelling at him and then like he's possessed at first but then comes two and then has this horrific realization that he's about to be sucked into space Ugh. and they kind of save and then they get him and save him and leave him to like what kind of state i can't i can't even tell you yeah. uh <laughs> something bad right mm. something bad who's the master distiller on event horizon Lawrence Fishburne, for me, he's really, really good in this film. I didn't love his Morpheus stuff. Mm. thought that was a bit overacted, and I think he's a overacts a little bit in some of the John Wick stuff. Yeah. He's really good in this film. My favorite line from uh, John Wick 2. Fuck that shit. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, from John Wick. Oh. From John, that's a fantastic line in this movie. Yeah. In John Wick 2, it's like, when they find out the bounty on, on Wick's head at that point, I think it's like $6 million. $6 million! Damn! We're going to Applebee's. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> like what? The Bowery King. Really? It's the best you got of Mr. Pigeon Man over there. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? He's really kind of, you know, he runs a tight ship in a lot of these like movies he's in. Uh, as Perry White in those Man of Steel movies. Dude, he's an intense Perry White. Mm -hmm. You better get that elite on me, Kennedy. He's always yelling at everybody. Mm -hmm. And of course, I love little Larry Fishburne in Apocalypse Now, his first film role. Mm. Uh, so... Fantastic actor. I've oh, oh, Boys in the Hood. How could we forget? It's like a step with John Singleton's really good. Yeah, excellent. Uh, yeah, he's a, he's really good in this movie. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go Paul W.S. Anderson. Oh, man, I can't believe I said those words. But uh, to have, you know, the limitations, the strict deadline, the leeway on editing time, and you still kind of had to trim down your movie in just a weird kind of limited space and it's still very coherent it's very watchable it's got some really horrific bits in it uh i think it's a competent directing job not gonna call it a masterwork directing job but the guy got it across the finish line with a lot of really strange uh, stipulations so yeah with what was left after paramount took their scalpel to it yeah there's still a solid film in mm -hmm. here what could have been yeah what could have been and i think he cast it really well mm -hmm. everyone in this thing is that's the fish burn that's the neil the uh, Kathleen Kinlan, the Richardson of it all, the Jason Isaacs of it all. Uh, yeah. Small cast, but uh, they all fit their parts pretty well. Uh, how are you going to rate and grade Event Horizon? We have Rocket, Well, Call, Single Barrel, and Tippy Top Shelf. Where are you going for this one? Call Plus. Really good, fun, troubling film. It's not a masterpiece. It's not super high concept. It uses, a, I mean, it's high concept. It's It's not super unique. There's a lot of sort of reheated, but in an homage type way. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't, I will be honest with you. I did not love this as much as I've loved it in previous views. It's been probably four or five years since I've seen it. Yeah, I still really, really liked it. And there's still some moments that left me mm -hmm. a bit spun. It's a solid film, yeah. really well acted. You can't often say that with some some horror films. Yeah. Acting kind of, yeah, we don't, who needs it? We've got enough blood. Who cares about acting? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Call, call plus. Solid, good good b plus movie yeah i'm right with you um but man i'm teetering on single barrel right yeah we're walking that fine line but man if i get my eyes on that two two hour 10 minute cut i'm probably getting into single barrel because i'm probably getting yep. a lot weirder yep and a lot more uncomfortable and i'm getting all those bits that i really need and just my biggest gripe with the film is just it does feel like it is just they're just rushing through everything just because it's so it's such a lean machine at 135 mm-hmm that they're going from, and I love that efficiency, but it just feels like, gosh, these are big ideas and we're just like kind of not spending enough or as much time as I want on them. Yeah. But it's entertaining as hell. Uh, and I want to say this, I think this is the best 
Hellraiser sequel and the best Alien sequel that isn't Aliens. I like that too, that. Because uh, it does live within both those veins of those inspirations, right? Mm-hmm. But if this was a entry in either of those franchises, it'd be very high up, right? Uh, it's not saying a lot about those other franchises. Gosh, was that maybe the pitch? This is Alien 2 done Hellraiser style? Yeah, could have been. Wow. Yeah, so... But I think it's worth checking out. I think this thing's floating around Paramount Plus right now, and it's you can find it on on Netflix. But yeah, I got it on Directv uh, last night. There's five different viewings for it. Yeah, Showtime maybe. It's yeah, on Showtime Directv mm-hmm. or on on demand. Yeah. But with that, let's wrap this thing up with our nightcap. Go back to 1997. <laughs> 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 that the Lords of Acid. That's so silly. I love it. It's so night- silly that I love it. Right? Yeah. Nightcap. Yeah. All right. So, inspired by the destruction of the Event Horizon, okay. I came up with four other semi-destructive space stations okay. that we've seen in film. Okay. Knowing what you know and how they're destroyed and all of the things that they did, you get a choice, Jesse. And that is you can't change the outcome. Okay. You get to choose in the order of job preference, which of these four you'd like to work on the most, second most, second least, and dead last. Here are your four choices. Are you ready? You're going to love this. Okay. I'm going to write them down. (laughs) Okay. The first choice is... The Death Star. Okay. <laughs> Second choice is Moonraker. Third choice is the Nostromo. And the fourth choice is the Prometheus, but not from that, from Solaris. Okay. So you get to choose being part of the crew or labor force, which of knowing how they each one of them end, which is of those job possibilities, the one you'd like to take first. Uh, uh, Prometheus Solaris. Uh, I'm I'm going with 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 that one. It's it's not as horrific. It's an, heartbreaking. Yeah, heartbreaking more more so, but uh, not as obliterating as as some of these other ones. Uh, okay, so and as sh- and as horrific as some of these other ones are going to get. So that's the job I'll take first. Okay, we both share the same number one. Okay, second most desired job. <laughs> Death Star, Moonraker, and Nostromo. The first death, the first death, death star. By the way, <laughs> that thing's fully operational. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll take Moonraker second. Uh, I'm working for a, a, a crazy tyrannical warlord, Hugo Drax, and then that's all. My, my space station's going to go to hell, and I'll probably have to fight in a space laser battle, which that doesn't sound like fun. Yeah, uh, but. You know, it was a fun ride. <laughs> we were paid well. We were compensated pretty well. I got to tell you, you know, Moonraker, the film, is completely insane. Uh, and they're just totally trying to rip off Star Wars, right? It's like, do Bond, but do Star Wars. And it's like, yeah, this doesn't really work. I do have to tell you, the Moonraker book is phenomenal. And it could not be more different from the uh, the film. Hmm. I always thought that there was, you know, go adapt that as a Bond film, but like do the book. It, it could be on par with like the greatness of Casino Royale. It's that wow. inter- it's that entertaining. Yeah. Okay. 
My number two is the Death Star. Here's why. Okay. You're going to have a lot of fun in the conquest piece of this, and it's going to be over fast. Yeah. At least you're, it's done. You're gone. You're you're blown to bits, It's and we're off. Instantaneous? No worries, no pain, no terror. It's just over. Mm-hmm. I think that's my number three. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean... I don't know. Is the Empire really having a lot of fun? I never really... I mean, we can banter. You and I can talk about the new uh, TC-14 that's being made. Yeah. Uh, we can have some fun kind of chit-chat. But I, I don't know if we're having a ton of fun, but I'm with you. Uh, we're getting obliterated in a millisecond. Yeah. Uh, it's just like... And we're done. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, 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 quick death. Uh, so At the, least it's organized before you go down, too. There's a orders that you follow and a structure to your day and yeah. you're probably pretty well compensated and at least there's clean clothes yeah there's probably a good mess hall i mean the eats yeah, are probably yeah. pretty good uh militaristic yeah could be worse so is your number three moonraker yep okay <laughs> it's just um in addition to all of the things you said while things are going well there's a strong strong element of boredom <laughs> on that mm-hmm. um yeah moonraker's number three for me plus Moon- just i just don't like jaws yeah moonraker has also the infamous in the bond collective, the infamous pigeon double take. Mm. And what I mean by that is bond at a point in that film's writing like this gondola. And he's like, it's a gondola chase. And he passes by all these like animals and they're all just like, Oh, that's weird. But then this pigeon like looks at it and it looks, and it looks at it again. And you're like, these filmmakers actually made a pigeon double take at the absurdity of Roger Moore writing this gondola. <laughs> You're just like, what? So weird. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that's bad. Yeah, the pigeon double take. Yeah, that's pretty atrocious. So then our we have the same least uh, likable job, which is a the crew Nostromo. on the Nostromo. Yeah, absolutely not. <sighs> no way. Uh, a, I'm not being compensated for my wages. Very here. well. And no. then if I fail to go along with the behest of my company, I forfeit my wages. But then this thing we bring back on us, you want to talk about hell on earth, man. Like, I want no piece of the big chap xenomorph. Yikes. <laughs> Food sucks. Medical division sucks. Pay sucks. Yeah. The alien on board sucks. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. a robot on board that they're not even telling us is a robot. I might just jump into space. Yeah. Just get it over with. Yeah. It's going to... It's gonna it's gonna bang you in the face and then, <laughs> oh, and, and then it's gonna gestate in you and then it's gonna burst out of you. Yeah, nothing about that that world is is fun. Hard pass. Acid blood. Yeah. Alien. Like I've always said. Like you know. Like if it, aliens invaded and they were movie aliens, which aliens would you want? Like, dude, give me ET any day of the week. I'll take Mac and me. If a xenomorph invasion shows up, dude, I'm ending it quick. Like yeah. I'm not sticking around for that. I have one more that I want to throw at you just for fun. Okay. I'm not sure the ship's name, but the HAL ship from 2001 A Space Odyssey. Where does that fit in there? Uh, yeah, that's also not very pleasant. That's, no. a, that's AI run amok, and he's just jettisoning people into space. Mm-hmm. And then the survivor, Dave, I, he doesn't even really... He has to go through uh, beyond Jupiter Beyond the Infinite, which is essentially another black hole, which is horrifying. Yeah. Is that, is that just before the Nostromo? Uh... Yes. Yeah, I think yeah. so too. There's me. some pretty sinister things taking place in that movie in a very cold, vacuous space that is is kind of horrifying, right? It's just space travel is weird and strange. Yeah. Great question. Yeah. Thanks. Fun. Yeah. 
Yeah, Death Star, yeah, just blow me up instantaneously. Other than, you know, if I have to be a TIE fighter pilot and actually go contribute to the battle outside, you know, I'm probably getting blown away out there mm-hmm. with Porkins. I don't know, maybe I could take Porkins out before I go down. Oh, you and me are both in the communications department. They're not putting us behind a TIE fighter. Were we the, were we the crew that uh, didn't blast the escape pod because we're, uh, there's no life forms on that thing, thus averting all of Star Wars? Yes, right? that's you and me. <laughs> oh, man, dude, we're getting, we're getting force choked by Vader. <laughs> Uh, well, that's a wrap on Event Horizon. This was a very fun episode. A lot to talk about. Uh, we hope you check out the the film. Uh, it's kind of what this cast is all about, just recommendations. Seek them out. Come listen to us or vice versa. But pick number two on your shelf. We're walking down the aisle, Matt's picks. Where are we going next week with your picks? I'm approaching all of these from a horror space, the horror you should see. Oh, absolutely. It's spooky season. This is one we've talked about. Yeah. And... I didn't even think about this until the drive over here tonight because I had something else totally different. That maybe is week three. Mm. But week two, yeah. man, The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Okay, excellent. I, yeah. Yeah. We've talked about that a lot too. Just she in- would have made my list on the nightcap. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, the flight, but I didn't want to spoil You're it. You're kind so. of saving it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Great choice. Jennifer Carpenter. Yeah, we'll, just, yeah, we'll talk about her career too, right? Yeah, yeah. Tom Wilkinson. Is mm-hmm. this Laura Linney, right? Yep. Oh, man, I kind of don't like Laura Linney, but uh, I am very fond of this film in just how different it is in terms of possession film. It's essentially a courtroom drama, right? Campbell Scott too, right? Yeah, Campbell Scott. Uh, yeah, it's like 12 Angry... Or 12 Angry... Oh, no, To Kill a Mockingbird. But it's the devil, right? The exorcist in a courtroom. Yeah. Great, great choice. Yeah, I haven't seen this in it's been a while. So Yeah, we should watch it. Yeah. I think I think yeah, we'll have the time to do that. So yeah, we'll watch it, come in here, and yeah, that'll be fun. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I'm curious to see what film three is gonna be, but you gotta save it. You gotta save everyone. We gotta wait in suspense here, but to Event Horizon. That's a cheers, you can't hear it. Ching. <laughs> to Event Horizon, to next week's film. Hey, we got to get going, everybody. Uh, hey, Matt, we're going to take a trip through the the Event Horizon portal. Maybe this acting and writing strikes over on the other side. Hey, oh. I'm, I'm willing to take a chance. <laughs> well, I'm going to find an exorcist then for two things. Number one, to get the acting and writer strike over. And the second one is I think I got to go rescue your soul because you sold it earlier on the film. Mm. So the podcast, I got to bring it back for you. Yeah, come save me, man. Yep. All right, we'll see you all next week, everybody. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Event Horizon is property of Paramount Pictures, Golar Productions, and Impact Pictures and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. Shit! Where the fuck am I going? Why is this shit gonna happen to me? Fuck. Think, think. All right, all right. All right, I gotta get back to the ship. I gotta get back to the ship, all right? All right, I gotta blow my air tank. I'll blow my air tank. Better work. This shit better work. All right, all right, here I go. All right, one, two, three. Come on, come on, come on. Yes, yes, yes. Relax, motherfuckers.